0: Today on the ZabeCast, Andy Poland takes the mound in our weekly rotation, and we reveal why he so rarely wears the famed number nine Redskins jersey, once worn by his legend and hero Sonny Jurgensen. The curious case of Ed Werder, Dak versus Zeke pay debate, all that plus charge has stolen my idea, but he's done so brilliantly. Your bonus, forty minutes of me, is locked and loaded, so buckle up and let's go. Here we go. Wednesday, August 14, 2019. Thank you for downloading. Well, things are starting to get moving in the world of the NFL, where this is the week in which kind of the early fucking around by teams and by players has begun to get a little bit more serious. Week two of the preseason, more starters are going to play, and guys who, like Antonio Brown, decide to make a big deal over a fucking helmet have decided, yeah, I should probably show up and try to practice. For the Redskins, the question is, who's going to play quarterback? Who's going to start week one? We all know that Jay loves Colt. Case is the more experienced veteran, at least as of recent vintage. And Haskins, the rookie, is the future, but he is definitely not the now. Well, it turns out Colt wasn't even ready to practice on Tuesday, which is, is mind-boggling given the fact that they didn't put him on the injured reserve at the end of last year when he broke his ankle because they thought delusionally if they sneak into the playoffs, Colt could actually start. So he ends up having a second surgery in the winter because they didn't do it right the first time, whatever. But we are so far from December when Colt broke his ankle and he is still not 100% raring to go. Colt McCoy should not be the guy. But you got Colt. Not ready. Geis, apparently not ready. He blew out his knee first preseason game of last summer. Haskins, not ready. Trent, not here. Tackle game in Philadelphia in 25 days. Good luck. It's getting late early, as Yogi Berra once said. I think the worst case scenario for the Redskins this year goes something like this. Trent holds out, goes into the season. Skins finally say, okay, he's serious about this. They flip him in a trade, sort of, Five weeks in for less than ideal compensation. Maybe a second and a fourth. Something that doesn't blow anyone's skirts up. Team struggles. Haskins looks okay in say four or five meaningless starts in December. Bruce lives at the end of the year. Jay dies. Skins pass on the trio of Tua, Fromm, Herbert and maybe a fourth guy in next April's draft thinking Haskins is our guy. Then Haskins never gets traction in the next couple of years. He ends up as Blake Bortles. After four painful years, and we find out, nah, he ain't the guy. Wash, rinse, repeat. That's the worst-case scenario. The best-case scenario, I think, would be Trent gets more money. Dan and Bruce find their wallet. They say, you know what? You're right. Let's give you some security. He mends fences. They bring in another doctor to make Trent feel like the medical staff's getting an upgrade. Let's say Colt starts the year because he has to, but then gets hurt quickly because that's what he does. Haskins gets thrown in and is surprisingly good. The team is frisky. They're relevant on offense, at least, with Geis and others. There's bright spots to be had. The defense is a fucking mauling unit. And the team ends up 8-8 with some real promise going into 2020. That would be probably the best case scenario. I'm leaning towards the former, not the latter, but I'd love to be pleasantly surprised. Let's talk green reading books for a second. This controversy has come up on the PGA Tour about slow play and Bryson DeChambeau after striking a very defiant tone on Sunday and asking Brooks Kepka's caddy to tell his boss, "Hey man, come talk to me if you got a problem with anything." Okay, Kepka rolls onto the driving range, rolls right up to Nerdbo and says, "What's up, nerd? Got a problem? Loser." Just kidding, he didn't say that. In my fantasies, he said that. In my fantasies, he walked up to Bryson DeChambeau, kicked over his bag and said, oh, looks like your protractor fell over, nerd. So, slow play has become front and center on the PGA Tour, and there's a lot of valid points on all sides because it's hard to evenly apply to every player, and there's bottlenecks, and there's log jams, and there's rulings that affect pace of play, There's groups that run into the back of the train when they're going 1st to 10, 10 to 1st on these double T starts on Thursday and Friday. Early guys get put on a time par. Late guys, once the course is backed up, can play in five hours, and on and on and on. The one thing I think should be illegal, and I do think it affects pace of play, is green reading books. For years, the PGA Tour has had yardage books which had crude line-drawn drawings of, of the golf holes. Actually, not crude, but they were sort of hand-drawn yardage books, not the pretty aerial photograph, color-laminated books you get at you know resort courses when you play. But these would be the tour books that were created by a guy in the 70s, a caddy who decided, hey, we need to get better distances out here instead of looking at sprinkler heads, which was all they had, and let's go map out the places the tour plays and we'll get yardages from every single place. This bunker, that tree, over here, on this knob. And he made these books and he sold them to other tour players. Those have been around for a while. What's new is that there are green books or greens books that a guy will go out with sophisticated surveying equipment and a computer and he will survey... A putting green on the PGA Tour. it will survey the entire course of putting greens. So, let's say at Liberty National, there's a sophisticated green book, and it uses these high tech surveying instruments and computers to then put out a printed detailed map with little tiny arrows and grade marks and slope you know numbers that show you here's exactly how the green goes. And these have become all the rage on tour. They've become all the rage with lesser players or lower level play like amateurs, college, et cetera. They should be illegal. Like this to me, I don't know what the difference is. What's the difference between a book that has that much detail, that much technology in it versus let's say, and this will be coming soon, I'm sure, technology-wise. What's the difference between a green book that has all that information on it and sunglasses that maybe are hooked to a computer that literally show you the line of a putt and how it will break in real time, just sitting there, crouching down behind the ball. What's the difference? Well, come on. That's ridiculous. First of all, they don't have those. Yeah, not yet. And also, you know, it's like that's too much technology. This is just a book, man. Yeah, but it's a book created with high-tech computers and instruments. The big thing to me, and to me, that's not golf. Golf Should be, I'm on the green. I sense it's going to move this way. I've looked at it a couple ways. Not forever. I'm going to hit it and see how it goes. One of the great mysteries of golf. How's it going to break? You just don't know. Plus, it's all pace-dependent anyway. How hard are you going to hit it? Anyway, Mickelson came out in defense, a green reading book, saying anyone who thinks they slow down play are idiots. Oh, really? Mickelson says he can do 80% of his work leading up to getting to the green by just glancing at the green book. So his reads take less time. Okay, maybe. But what about the guy that pulls out his green book three times while looking at a putt, which DeChambeau did? That ain't speeding up play, that's for sure. The larger point is someone's got to draw the line somewhere. Let's outlaw these things. And let's, on tour, let's make the tour product, and I believe there should be a shot clock on tour. Oh, 100%. Put that digital clock right on top of a stick next to the official scores. Beep. Light it up. 40 seconds. Hit it. Speed golf. It's the tour. The tour can be anything it wants. Well, that's not how the game is supposed to be played. Well, the recreational game, the amateur game, may not have a shot clock, but by golly, on tour with the big boys, there's a shot clock. What that would do then is it, is it would disincentivize amateur players and juniors from taking forever because their goal, obviously, is to eventually get to the tour. And if the tour game is a speed game, if it's a shot clock game, then what are they going to do? They're going to learn to play faster. And we're all going to benefit from that. All right, time to talk to Andy Poland. Hello. Joining us now, a guy who did something I haven't seen in damn near 20 years. He wore a Redskins jersey. <laughs> Andy, congratulations. You busted out your Sonny Jurgensen number nine the day yeah. after Sonny announced that he had retired from the Redskins radio booth.
1: Was that yeah. the last... When was
0: the last time you wore that thing?
1: Um, trying to think. Um... Supposed to warn for something, some type of party, but special occasion. I mean, he's leaving Washington football after 55 years, 62 in the NFL, put together a three-hour show on ESPN 630. Thanks for listening. And uh, I just thought it was fitting that uh, I would wear the jersey. And, you know, nowadays you tweet things out, you put it on Facebook. So I thought a photo Why of not? me might. Might entice the whole uh,
0: the whole situation. <laughs> no, I look. Uh, you know my stance with jerseys. Buy them, I wear them, go out of the house with them, go shopping with them, have fun with them. You're a fan. Your stance has always been: you don't wear jerseys to games. You will. Yeah, you have it. You have a sunny jersey which you wore, but mm-hmm. you'll only wear it in your house for yeah. reasons I don't understand.
1: Well, I think once you pass 40, you really look schmucky wearing a jersey. Uh, I can, <laughs> really? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, when, when I was a really bad high school football player, they would have us wear our jerseys to school on Friday. Right. Well, that's good. You're a kid. That's when you should be wearing them. When you reach adulthood, eh, it's time to put them away.
0: Yeah, I mean, uh, that's the thing. I, But if you're 38... Do you look less schmucky than if you're 40? Nobody even knows the difference. Like,
1: yeah, I don't okay. know. I'm just giving 40 as a random number. But you know, when you see a guy who's like 60 and he's got a huge gut and he's wearing a uh, a Colt McCoy jersey or whoever it is, it looks kind of stupid.
0: Well, if you're 60 and you're wearing a a a sunny jersey with a big gut, it's called being player realistic. I can't didn't Sunny didn't Sunny once say famously, "You don't throw the football with your gut"?
1: Yeah, he um, he really got himself in shape only one of his eighteen years, and that was the year he played for Lombardi, and he had a great year. I mean, he led the league in passing percentage and yards, and threw twenty-two touchdowns, and uh, you know that was that was his best year in the NFL. But you know, at that time he was drinking and he liked the nightlife and. Uh, You know, weight training, he certainly wasn't into the Tom Brady way of life back in those days. So, uh, yeah, he he was one of those, you know, it's kind of like pitchers. You know, there's a lot of pitchers who are overweight but are still great pitchers. Sure. And he was a great quarterback who just happened to have a little bit of a belly.
0: And the NFL was, at the time, the league was one where you could get away with being a bit lumbering in the backfield as a quarterback.
1: Well, and, I mean, I, I liken him to, to Dan Marino in that Marino, not mobile at all. How but about Dan Fouts. Great, um, Dan Fouts? Dan Fouts is a bigger guy. I, I think Dan Fouts was, was a little bit closer to, to Ben Roethlisberger.
0: Really? Okay.
1: Yeah, I, I, I think so. Uh, you know, he wasn't a runner, and he didn't, you know, break a lot of tackles. But all of those guys, the, the key to their success is getting rid of the football. I mean, that's how Peyton yeah. Manning was playing at the end when he didn't even have an arm. Yeah. He, he could identify where the ball needed to be and got it there in a split second. And that's what, what Sonny did throughout his career.
0: Yeah, that's why Brady's still playing and will probably play till he's 45. At least right. that's what he says. So let, clarify something for me regarding the broadcast booth with the Redskins. And for those that don't live in D.C., little background here. Every team, I think, in every city has had their beloved broadcast booths for the home teams, whether it's baseball, which is normally the kind of the booth you romanticize about, uh, or football in our case it was. During the Redskins heyday, in my youth, in my teenage years, the glory years, the 1980s into the early 90s, the broadcast booth on the radio was play-by-play man Frank Herzog, Sonny Jurgensen, and Sam Huff. However, Correct. this is what I need you to clarify. I always referred to them and heard that booth referred to as Sonny Sam and Frank, in that correct. order. Is that yes. correct?
1: Yes, yes. Yeah,
0: because Sonny was the star, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, and Sonny Sonny came in later. I mean, he he joined that booth with Sam and Frank probably three years into their run. You know, Sonny, after he retired in 1974, went to CBS, and he was one of the top analysts. I believe he did the NFC Championship game one year. He worked On with Dennis Gully. You know, he, he was he was a top notch analyst, and they dumped him after the 1980 season. Huh. And uh, he's friends with Andy Ockershausen, who was then the general manager of uh, WMAL. And uh, he said, "Let's add Sonny to the booth," and magic was made.
0: Yeah, what made that booth great uh, when Sonny and Sam were in their prime was the fact they would bicker with each other like two old men, uh, like the uh, Waldorf and Statler puppets on the film, <laughs> on the Muppet Show. <laughs> And Sam being a defensive guy, Sonny being an offensive guy, they'd take shots at each other about, hey, Sam, tell your defense to get a stop here so we can maybe win this game.
1: Right, Uh, right, right. right. And then you had the consummate play-by-play man in Frank Herzog, and he'd say, I got a Hall of Famer on my right, I got a Hall of Famer on my left, and they can't agree on anything. And it just worked. Yeah, and
0: uh, Frank was very minimalist about his signature call was, touchdown, Washington Redskins.
1: Yeah, and and i and I got a tweet from somebody who asked me when we had frank on on Friday if i if he would do that and I foolishly asked frank to do it and he said nope nope he said I'm not going to do it i I need a game in front of me and I'm not doing games anymore
0: so how is how is that. Frank Herzog these days
1: oh he's great he's uh living in North carolina he's uh I guess probably in his early mid seventies, and uh, seems to be doing just fine.
0: Good. Well, that's great. So, what was Sonny great at in the broadcast booth? In your mind,
1: well, he he was Romo before Romo. Oh, you know, Romo now gets all his credit and, and deservedly so for being able to predict plays before they happen. Sonny could do that better than anybody. He'd, he'd tell you what was going to happen next, and and then uh, you know there'd be some confusion on the field, and he'd say holding. You know, or he'd uh, say, you know, illegal man downfield. Like he knew the penalty even before the flag was thrown. Yeah. And uh, you know, he just he just saw the game. That was his. And you got to remember this: when he played, he was his own offensive coordinator. Nobody called the plays for Sonny. Sonny called the plays. Wow. And so you know, he had that eighteen years of that, and it just it just came naturally to him
0: yeah well, he he was all he was always very astute almost until the very end. I would say the last three years though, Sonny had lost his vibrancy in terms of his vocal energy and how he sounded. I think his mind is and was still pretty sharp from a football standpoint, mm-hmm. but the sound of Sonny the last two or three years was probably not great.
1: Yeah, and you had two other analysts. you had Doc Walker on the field and Chris Cooley. And, you know, you, there's not that much time in between plays sure. for everybody to put their two cents in. So, yeah, and he stopped doing road games. You know, he's going to be 85 years old. But, you know, for for over 30 years, he was as good as he got on radio.
0: Yeah, the most revered legendary athlete in D.C. history that never won a championship of any level, not even an NFC championship.
1: So. Well, he, he never... He never started a winning playoff game. Never played in a winning playoff game, and most of the eleven years that he played for the Redskins—not most, but I would say about half of them—were losing seasons. Um, but he just he brought the excitement to Washington, and he would he would have games, you know, where he'd throw four touchdown passes, and the Redskins would lose because their defense was terrible. And it's uh, you know it's a shame because by the time the defense arrived with George Allen, that's when he started to get hurt. And also, he and Allen didn't see eye to eye. Uh, well, you know, George, George Allen,
0: Allen d- yeah, George yeah. Allen being a maniac who did not like offense. It's yeah, not that yeah. George Allen didn't have a kin for offense, he literally did not like it. He wanted to win games seven to three if possible.
1: Yeah, his, his idea was to have the offense run the ball, shorten the game, and have his defense make the plays to win it. And Sonny.
0: Like to throw it. so <laughs> Loved to throw it.
1: Yeah, just didn't mix. Didn't mix too well.
0: So how do you like the current threesome of Larry Michael, Chris Cooley, and Doc Walker? Maybe not necessarily oh. in that order. Doc's been on the broadcast longer, but Cooley has kind of taken over as the de facto analyst.
1: Yeah, I, I think Cooley's great. I think uh, he does a, a great job. Larry's a pro, and uh, I think Doc has an element that, is you know more in the modern era where you have an on-the-field reporter. If I'm not mistaken, it's with, within the last 15 years, maybe even less, that the NFL even allowed on-field reporters.
0: Guys to broadcast constantly from the field level, which is what Doc does.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, we, we, they always had you know a, a sideline reporter. I think Leslie Visser was one of the first.
0: Right, but, but to do a full game from down there, TV or radio, yeah. that had not been permitted.
1: Yeah. Right, right. I think the the league finally, uh, you know, unloosened. The,
0: well, uh, Doc still has an amazing rapport with players, given the fact that Doc is how old himself now.
1: He's in his. A- mid-60s, I believe. (laughs) Yeah,
0: exactly. Doc still pulls it (laughs) off where it's like, wow, he's really boys with these guys. Uh, And maybe some of the players roll their eyes. But Doc seems to get along well with them. And Cooley is just Rain Man-esque in terms of his analytics and his preparation. I mean, Cooley prepped for that preseason game number one like full bore. And I'm like listening to him going, damn, he really put his shoulder into it where most ex-players, they show up and they go, okay, who are we playing?
1: Right, right. Well, well. The, I mean, the technology that he uses—if—if if it had been available to Sonny back in the '80s, he probably would have done it too. Because Sonny was big on preparation. He used to talk to a lot of people. He used to spend a lot of time at Redskins Park. But what Cooley can do on his laptop is bring up the all twenty-two and and look at it in a way that you and I can't and analyze it and tell us what's going on. So that's that's something that's come along with more modern football.
0: Yeah. Ed Werder returns to ESPN. Andy, what do you make of this move?
1: You know, this is this is so ESPN. Uh, he's been paid, from what I understand. I, I thought that he had at least two years left on his contract when he was part of that big purge in April of seventeen. So he he was paid not to work for two years, and then when the contract ran out. He got his job back. Uh, Again, this is all bookkeeping the way I I understand it. It, The the shareholders didn't see the salary that he was getting the last two years and basically severance. So, you know, now he's back on the books. So they were
0: able to move his money to a different column under, what, sunk costs or something else? And so they could tidy up the sheet for the board of directors or investors? Meanwhile. It was asinine, given all the money they were spending on all these other things, to let a solid, valuable reporter who is not probably breaking the bank, he was making a good number, to let him go, who covers the freaking Cowboys. It's not the Titans we're talking about.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I didn't understand it. While he was getting this severance or leftover contract, they gave Greenberg $6.5 million.
0: When nobody else was bidding for Greenberg. Nobody right. was bidding four million. Nobody was bidding three million.
1: Nobody was bidding a million.
0: Right? There's only exactly. one place Mike Greenberg can exist.
1: ESPN. Yeah, yeah you know, I, I'd also heard that Ron Jaworski had five years left in his contract when they got rid of him. Um, Andrew Brandt said he had just signed a new deal like a month or two before.
0: Wow, <laughs> <I> mean, <laughs> that's crazy. It's almost like the yeah. head of ESPN was on cocaine or something. Oh yeah! Uh, oh, <laughs> oh, cheap shot by me. Well, good to have Ed Werder back. Dallas is going to be fun because they got two big stars currently, either needing to get money or asking for more money, and Zeke and Dak. Who right. of the two would you pay big dollars if uh, the answer is either? Well,
1: I, I pay you, you pay Dak Prescott because he's. He's a good quarterback. Is he a Hall of Fame quarterback? I don't know. But that's a hard position to fill. Zeke Elliott, I'd give him a short-term deal, uh, but I wouldn't pay him long-term. Running backs are interchangeable.
0: Yeah, I think Dak is a case of, you know, he's in that Kirk Cousins zone where he's good, he's durable, which is important, mm-hmm. and in the right scheme, he can win games for you. But... yeah. The cost of these guys, even the the middle-of-the-pack guys, is so expensive. Because, as you know, Andy, having watched the league your whole life, the days where you could win and be a winning team with a so-so quarterback don't exist anymore.
1: Right, right. Probably the Ravens' last team to do that. Right. Right.
0: Like, I remember the likes of Ken Anderson for the Bengals could actually ride his way to a Super Bowl. Jeff Hostetler with Parcells and the Giants a totally pedestrian quarterback and there was never any talk or thought of well they'll know they can't win it all with Hostetler it was just like yeah he's our quarterback he's okay but we that's not what we do
1: yeah no that that team was, I mean, again, that was the second of the two Giants Super Bowl. The defense that year wasn't as good as it was as the team that beat Denver, I think, January 87. Right. But Bill Belichick devised such an incredible game plan to stop that Bill's k offense. I mean, it was it was spectacular. And there was just enough left in the tank. I mean, they were playing guys like... An aging Lawrence Taylor. They had Everson Walls, who was in the late stages of his career. Um, Carl Banks was a, a pretty good player, but I mean, they they were not the defense that they were when they'd won their previous Super Bowl. But just just everything came together. They ran the ball, and you know, frankly, they got kind of lucky. I mean, a forty-six yard field goal right. is is makeable if, right. if that. You know that had gone through, we would have looked at it differently. But that was that was really a great job by Belichick. The year.
0: winners write the history books. They also ran a guy by the name of Otis Jerome Anderson to glory. OJ Anderson. They ran the wheels off that guy. That An aging
1: year. guy. Yeah, I mean he he was he was picked up in a midseason trade from St. Louis. He'd been a great player with St. Louis, but he thought you know there was nothing left in the tank. And as I remember, Joe Morris got hurt either that season or the season before, and Anderson started carrying the load. And that was the way you could win games in those days. You shorten it up. I remember covering a game, I think it was that season, where they played the Miami Dolphins, and I think it was over in two hours and 20 minutes. I think that's all it took took to play that game.
0: Right, because there was not as much passing. Uh, Do you think the league will ever get back to the days where you can win – and win it all with just a so-so quarterback.
1: I don't know. I mean, what's what's the last team to do it?
0: I I don't know. But looking forward, you know, the league seems to be okay with being, as I call it, a TV show about quarterbacks. They seem right. to be okay, and all these rules now, and and I think reviewable PI and reviewable non PI is going to only make it even easier to throw for a jillion yards. Uh, because DBs are going to be more afraid to touch wide receivers, right? Right, right, right. So it's right. almost like, you know, it, in, in a way it's making the position of quarterback easier. I think we're going to see fewer flops at the position. But at the mm-hmm. same time, it makes quarterbacks expensive. Very yeah, well, expensive.
1: The, the, there's also going to be an interesting evolution this year with Kyler Murray. Because what I've been hearing is, Kyler Murray is going to run exactly the same offense that he ran at Oklahoma last year. I mean, exactly. This isn't like what they tailored for RG3 his first year with the Redskins. (laughs) They hired a college coach who knows that offense and a college quarterback to run it. And if that works, that's going to be the new formula because you're going to be playing guys on rookie contracts. And if you can get these guys right out of college on a capped rookie deal uh, and Coaches who are coming right out of college, 30, 31 years old, look out because that's what's going to happen. It's going to transform into what college football is now. Yeah.
0: Uh, for the Redskins, where do you stand on the Trent Williams holdout, showdown, standoff? Uh, just on Tuesday, basically, had Adam Schefter saying the Redskins don't plan to trade. Trent, that could obviously change. Seems like right. Bruce and the Redskins are all in, and they are not going to cave, or at least that's the front they're showing. Trent seems to be be of the same mindset. So, how does this end? Do you think?
1: I think he is traded, but I think there's no rush to do it. I think they wait and see who gets hurt. Remember, we got you know three more weeks of exhibition games to play. Right. Uh, we'll see what what the needs are, and as, as, as the cost goes up, and I think. I think if you're the Redskins, you sit back and you go, well, you know, we're not going to be a Super Bowl team with them, so let's just wait and get the best offer and make it happen. So but you're saying let the,
0: you're saying let Trent burn some game checks, yeah, to make yeah, him pay I, to make him pay because you know Bruce is vindictive, and then right. on top of that, you get three or four weeks in the season, someone is going to lose a left tackle, and they're going right. to be desperate.
1: Exactly. Yeah. I mean, that if you're one player away. That's what you do. I mean, look at the Dallas Cowboys were built in 1989 because Minnesota thought they were one player away in Herschel Walker. And I don't know if they would give up that kind of a haul for Trent Williams, but somebody will overpay when there's a real need.
0: Yeah. And then, of course, the Redskins could get their quarterbacks killed in succession with uh, Eric Flowers and some other guys trying to play left tackle. The season could already be 1-7 and at that point. Then we're going to have a miserable last two months of the year. Oof. I hope yeah, Haskins well, is good.
1: Colt, Colt can't even make it to an exhibition game. So whenever you're going to throw Colt out there, plan on a game and a half. And then you got Case Keenum. And, you know, maybe Case Keenum can stay healthy and they can get through the season. The, the thing about Haskins is he seems to be okay with sitting. This isn't like RG3. He, he understands that it's going to take some time. And he also has come from a system where he had to wait. And it yeah. sounds like he's, he's willing to wait here.
0: Colt McCoy's existence on the roster is an affront and a joke to many of us Redskin fans. Nothing against yeah. the young man himself. It's just the fact that we are still clinging to this perpetually injured, nobody's idea of a starting quarterback guy is insane. It really yeah. is.
1: He knows the system. Okay, if he knows the system, put him in and let him play the system. Oh, you can't put him in he's hurt. That's right. right. So what what uh, you know you, our friend Larry Weissman used to say about Todd Collins. He's just fine as long as he doesn't as as he, have to play. Right, as long as you don't have to play him. Yeah, <laughs>
0: That's such an interesting concept. And Josh Doxson, our former first-round pick out of TCU, has had such an uninspiring camp in his fourth season. There's talk he might be on the bubble. I'm not sure anyone would shed a tear if he got his ass cut this summer.
1: Yeah, I mean, this is supposed to be the the show me year, and and uh, he he sounded a little bit insulted that they didn't extend his contract. Well, you know, what has he done? He he, uh, even when he's healthy, he's just a guy. It seems like he he looks good, looks the part, but doesn't really seem to be, you know, that good.
0: Yeah, Hard Knocks episode two is tonight. Are you into yeah. it so far? And I have a yes. question regard. You are into it. If- I am. Yes. Okay. Why don't you think they're putting more time into the Antonio Brown story, both the and maybe the helmet thing was just this week. But why do you think it's not showing up on the show yet? Is it just a matter of timing? It's going to take a week or two. Or is somebody saying, don't put that asshole on TV until he reports?
1: Well, he, he was in the first episode. You saw it. You saw it, right?
0: Yes. But it was like they didn't address the feat.
1: Yeah, they didn't address the feet, but they did say, you know, that he wasn't running as well as he should have been. Uh, they didn't talk about the helmet. I don't know if that had had surfaced in that week before, but you know, I, I maybe there's, you know, there there are some lead gates that they have to go through, and there is also some team gates that they have to that has to be approved by the team. Yeah. So maybe they felt and and you heard what John Gruden said was supportive of a Brown and the helmet thing, you know, and, and, and said he understood. So maybe he thought, geez, if we blow this up on hard knocks, we make him look like a total douche. Uh, that's not going to help my situation.
0: Yeah. What, uh, what do you like most about hard knocks?
1: I, I just, I've watched the show over the years. I loved last year with the Cleveland Browns. I, I thought that was great. Well, the, uh, the
0: fat line coach who'd go, Hut, hut, and his belly would Bob shake. Bob Wiley, he was
1: great. Yeah. And and the, and the thing is, what's the deal with the stretching here? And he's got this great New England accent. You know, nobody in World War II ever. In Normandy, we didn't do any stretching here. In that. Normandy. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah we got off the boats and got shot that's what we did
1: well but you know I mean the, the sentiment was what what is the deal with the stretching is this something that everybody does but you yeah. know is there any proof that it, it prevents pulled muscles far you know
0: uh I would say the answer is yes it does I think there's science on it I think trainers would back it up and it makes common sense that if you gently stretch the muscles you'll be using to get blood flowing and to, and to warm yeah. them up probably better yeah but probably anyway so. Uh, One last thing about helmets. Someone said, speaking of helmets with this Antonio Brown helmet drama, that I need to find the photo of when Andre the Giant was going to be signed by the Redskins, allegedly, for a punt blocker or a kick blocker. Never actually happened. Somebody said there was a picture of Andre the Giant with a a Redskins helmet just perched on top of his head like a Dixie cup. True or not true? I've never
1: seen that. The the only... Andre the Giant photo I've seen related to the Redskins is where he's holding Joe Thiesman, and Thiesman looks like yes! a mannequin in, right. in his hand.
0: He's holding Joe Thiesman like a child in his arm, in one arm, yeah. in his you know right. he's sitting on his arm. It's crazy.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean George Allen was was into that. Too. He also wanted to bring in Wilt Chamberlain because in those days you could actually block a field goal or an extra point from underneath the goalposts. So he wanted Wilt to to basically goaltend oh my field goals and extra points and that never got off the ground. Oh my god.
0: Uh Bagel boss guy is gonna fight Lenny Dykstra. <laughs>
1: yeah. I mean this is that we had this like what, ten years ago, fifteen years ago, where we had not uh we had what uh um uh, a Minute Bowl was fighting, refrigerator Perry Celebrity uh, Boxing
0: Screech from Saved by the Bell was in it. Yeah. Yeah, it was a decent summertime series. But, I mean, this is, we're talking 15 minutes of viral fame for this bagel boss guy. And as deplorable as Lenny Dykstra is, I would love to see this bagel nutcase get his shit caved in. (laughs) Would you watch? If I order the fight, I don't even know how you order it. (laughs) I guess it's pay per view. If I order it, will you come watch it
1: with me? Come on. I get, but you, you would actually have to pay for this? Is that the deals Is pay-per-view?
0: I don't know uh exactly where it's gonna be. I could uh uh oh let's see. God. Let's see. Uh uh Bagel boss fighting Lenny Dykstra, September seventh, Atlantic City. Uh Bovada's offering a line for the bout. Uh the Dykstra is the overwhelming favorite at one to five upside down. Bagel Boy is three to one as an underdog. It doesn't say in this post how you watch the fight, how you get it, or if it'll even come off when it's all said and done.
1: Yeah, I, I think there's two. there are two guys there who are looking for any kind of publicity. Uh, but if it actually does happen, you're talking about a guy who's less than five feet tall fighting a former professional athlete. So, come on.
0: Lastly, Andy, I w- I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you this because you love the movies so much. The movies, the first two, The Godfather. What you make of Cuomo going nuts over being called Fredo?
1: Oh my God! I mean, I, I, I was, I was shocked by that. I, I guess that we managed to move on from that. But uh, I mean, I, I don't know how that didn't end really bad. I mean, it looked like he had bodyguards around him to, to separate him. But if that guy would have taken a shot, who knows what would happen. But that, I don't, I don't know if he was drunk, but I I was, you know, it just seems to me that if somebody heckles you, even if he says something like that, you keep walking. Why he took him on? I have no idea.
0: I guess he had had enough. I guess that's what being quote triggered is. Here's the real question though. Is being called Fredo a universal Italian insult that is akin to the N word for Italians?
1: I I don't know, but I, it's a reference to The Godfather and and the John Cazale character who was you know kind of a dope the the, 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 the dopey weak brother.
0: brother the weak brother yeah. exactly who ended up getting taken out in a boat and whacked.
1: Yeah, yeah, but I I don't I don't I don't know. I'm not Italian, so okay. I, wouldn't, I wouldn't know. But I, I, it seems to me that it's not. It's not akin to the N-word, I don't think.
0: You know, I uh, I worked at ES. I didn't work. I was an intern at ES, or t- intern at CNN, CNN back in the yeah. early 90s, right around the Gulf War when the network really took off big time. And, you know, I'm just thinking uh, right now, it's like this is the network of Bernard Shaw <laughs> in which anchors are pretty much getting into battle royales and cussing matches with idiot people who are setting them up with their cell phone. It's just a terrible look for journalism. I mean, this is what social media is doing is dragging us all down into the mud.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, that's you're, you're hundred percent right. Did you, I don't know if you watch this. I watched the uh, Showtime series on, uh, on the Fox news and Roger Ailes. Did, did you watch? No, I did
0: not watch. Is it good?
1: Yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's really interesting. And, and Russell Crowe, uh, they managed to put 100 pounds on him, and he, he, he manages to pull it off. It's, I believe it's,
0: Russell Crowe, after Gladiator, which he was in phenomenal shape, has let himself go quite a bit. No,
1: so, nah, not this much. No, okay. This makeup. Yeah, okay, no, well it's, then, it's, yeah. No way, no way he would look like this. But, but uh, yeah, it's a seven-episode series. They run less than an hour and
0: uh, yeah, I thought it was Sienna Miller's in it. You know? Ooh, so, God, she, yeah. You know, she is so hot, Andy. Why yeah, yeah, is there not more Sienna Miller in our life?
1: Hmm? I don't know, but but I, I, I there was seven <laughs> hours of this, and I
0: consumed <laughs> all of it. <laughs> all right. Anything else on the docket this week to deal with? Oh, I hate to end on a sad note, but Jesus, Joe White, Joe Brother, White God. passing away. At 53 yeah. or 56? 56,
1: 56 at- yeah. We, um, you know, I, I know that, that you had had him on uh, the same week that Tom Lavero and I had him on. And I heard most of your conversation with him, and we had a really good one with him as well. You know, that that's a guy who didn't care what you thought of what he did. He did what he wanted to do. And... He, he marched to the beat of his own drum. He was unlike any other sports media person I've ever come across, a really good guy. And, uh, and just, you know, the, the things that he did are, are really admirable. I mean, to, to walk away from from this, I mean, he worked hard at what he did, but he decided at some point he wanted to run a store. The store got off the ground. And he wanted to walk the Appalachian Trail, and he did it. A lot of us talk about what we want to do, and we never do it. Yeah. thank God he was able to do some things he wanted to do because he went too, far too young at fifty six.
0: Very, very few sports writers who achieved the level he had had were in a good job writing for the AP. You know, AP, that's a solid job right there. And he was the sports writer of the year. Very few sports writers I've ever known in which they said, yeah, i'm I'm good at this job, but I don't need it. And here, have it back. At such a young age, so many writers, Andy, as you know, are clinging to their status as Hall of Fame voters in order to somehow stay employed by fringe outlets. And I won't say whom. And I'll leave it at that. (laughs) Am I right? Someday, someday I'd like to be able to say to this racket, the hot take slinging racket. I've given you all my takes. Let somebody else (laughs) give you your takes. I'm out.
1: Yeah, well, there's that, but as I often say, this is a business where they retire you, you don't retire. True. And he was able to say... He retired them. I'm good. Yeah, Yeah, exactly.
0: Because he lived lived very simply. Beautiful person, and uh, rest in peace, Joe White. Okay, Andrew, I would say we have done yeoman's work tonight, and I appreciate your time as always, and I'm going to have that lunch with you and Carol, I swear to God, as soon as my schedule permits...
1: Yeah, that would be good, and uh, we can have a little two-station powwow there and uh, compare notes.
0: <laughs> yeah, if my bosses let me, you're not going to have <laughs> lunch with them, are you? They're the competitor now. <laughs> Fuck them.
1: Yeah, wouldn't it be something if uh, if we were sitting there having lunch and uh, one of our bosses came in and flipped the table and said, "Yeah, no." <laughs>
0: Right, exactly. Thank, thank God, our bosses are not lunatics. They get it. Like we're gonna talk anyway. People always talk anyway, no matter whether you're having lunch, talking, or on the phone, or texting, or whatever. All right, Andy, we'll see you next week. Thank you, brother. I Dave. Let's end on this today, man. I hate it when guys steal my idea, unless a it's a dear friend, and b if they improve upon my idea. We'll talk to Charge about this maybe as soon as tomorrow. I don't know when he's available. But Charge on Twitter unveiled a 25th anniversary coin. Sound familiar already? A 25th anniversary coin for his radio show, Fantasy Football Weekly, up there in Minneapolis on KFAN, uh, that he's going to give away at an event up there. And on one side it says start. On the other side it says bench. <laughs> what does that sound like to you? Uh, sounds like the ale coin, stay or leave. I got to say though, looking at his coin, it is gorgeous. Now look, I like the ale coin. Uh, Steve Hanna helped design it. He's a brilliant designer and I appreciate his work for me. Uh, thank you, steve But I thought that Charge's coin had just sort of next level details to it that I guess I didn't think about. And maybe his coin cost more, but who knows? I want one of those coins. Just as a collectible. Which brings me to my next question, and I'll just throw this out there. We have upcoming, the one-year anniversary of when I started actually asking for some money for this podcast. That would be Friday's only. Subscribe. It's 5 bucks a month. I know you can afford it. Helps me out. Appreciate it. And me and Chris Broussard were trying to figure out, so what do we do? I gave away 500 ale coins for the first 500 subscribers. We zoomed past that. There is a, I won't disclose it, number of people beyond the 500 that are loyal subscribers who did not get an ale coin. I would like to get them squared up if they've been a loyal subscriber for a year, but A, I did promise that I would not print any more ale coins. They were really for the first 500 who jumped on board. But then I thought, well, maybe we could do a second coin, is there an idea for a secondary coin that would be heads one side tails the other i don't know maybe a scotland solly heads tails coin to commemorate and so that that way perhaps if i get pe- if i say to people look if you subscribe for the year because people have been asking about that then you get this coin let's say you've been with us a year then if you subscribe for another year, boom, you get the coin. You're a loyal Zabe 1%er. you got something to show for it. I don't know. I'm just spitballing here. I'm thinking out loud. Got any good ideas? Let me know. That'll be a wrap for today. Thank you so much for listening. Have yourself a great Wednesday. As always, we appreciate you downloading. Get the ZabeCast app. It's convenient. It's nice. It collects all of the ZabeCast for when you've missed some and are desperate for a fix. Have a great Wednesday, folks, and we will
1: and see you next time. And